back to the Practical NLP podcast with me, Andy Smith. This week, we have an interview with the amazing Gemma Bailey. Gemma is an NLP trainer and director of NLP for Kids, a company which specializes in bringing NLP to children, their families and schools to help them with mild to moderate mental health and emotional challenges. With a background in childcare, Gemma has translated NLP into child-friendly language for delivery by over 20 NLP for Kids practitioners who are working throughout the UK and soon to be overseas too. Hello, Gemma. Hello, Andy. Lovely to speak to you. Yeah, lovely to speak to you again, actually. I think um, it's been a couple of years and I think probably the first time we spoke was uh, I was was um, questioning you almost aggressively about some... <laughs> claim that you'd made on your advertising which turned out to completely stack up so, <laughs> so apologies and you were really good about it too so apologies for that if it was uh, in any way untoward not at all i get used to it <laughs> <laughs> well with um yeah when you when you make uh, big claims you've kind of got to have big evidence for it so uh, but you did so that's uh, so that's great um, yeah, so I have kind of admired you from a bit of a distance uh, for a while in, as somebody who's made a business uh, out of NLP or turned NLP into a business without necessarily being uh, an NLP trainer, although you are an NLP trainer and you do that as well. I, I believe you still do that. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. yeah. But you also have this other thing, NLP for kids. Yeah. Um, which I would actually love to know about. How um, First, I'm going to ask you how you got into NLP, though. Okay. Um, so I was, at the time I got into NLP, I was working as a nursery manager for a private day nursery. Um, it was a really large company, and um, I suppose there were a few factors that had me looking um, outside of that in terms of moving forward um, from a career perspective. So the first thing was that um, I became a nursery manager at quite a young age, which meant that I'd hit the ceiling a little bit too soon um, and wasn't too sure you know, how I was going to progress beyond that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing was that it was a really large company. They were the largest childcare providers in the UK that I worked for at the time. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, all these things sound great, like great achievements, which they were. But I suppose what came with that was a sense of being a bit disillusioned. And, and actually, it wasn't all that great at the top after all. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really know what I was going to do next. Um, and this all coincided with me. Um, I, I had appendicitis mm. and I was signed off work for a month. And so I was stuck at home watching Richard and Judy on the sofa uh, for weeks. And I saw Paul McKenna on TV um, and he wasn't doing his funky stage show stuff anymore. Um, he was doing this new funky stuff called NLP. And he worked with a lady who um, I think had agoraphobia. Uh, So she hadn't left the house in a long time. And I remember them interviewing her and she talked about all of these different therapeutic interventions and medication that she's had over the years and um, how it hadn't really worked for her. And then I think she probably spent a day or half a day with Paul McKenna. And then they filmed her walking to the television centre for her interview live on the TV. And I thought, wow, that stuff's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And uh, having just had the internet installed at home, I just started doing some research and I went down a rabbit hole and, and didn't really come out the other side of it yet. Um, so yeah, it just led me on to lots of reading um, and then uh, some courses and then eventually I did what probably most people tend to do, which is the practitioner, master practitioner, trainer's training and so on. Um, and eventually uh, leaving nursery behind. Right. Okay. So Paul McKenna, we have to, uh, we, we, we have, we to have him to thank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I should point out for international listeners as well, that when you were watching Richard and Judy, um, British people will know what you mean, but um, yeah. uh, NLP buffs abroad, uh, it wasn't Richard Bandler and Judy Delosia. It was two daytime <laughs> TV hosts um, that were uh, big on British TV at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so how did NLP for Kids start? Because it sounded like you were going down that route of uh, NLP trainer and, and perhaps putting on practitioner courses like, uh, I don't know if your training was anything like mine, but they really, really encourage you to start doing practitioner courses. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, on my trainer's training, uh, I teamed up with a lady called Kay Gill. Um, and uh, Kay and I had trained through the same NLP school, but um, had been on different training courses at different points in the year. So we first met on the trainer's training um, and uh, she had a really bad back. So I remember seeing her in the lobby and she was carrying a cushion, which I thought seemed to be strange um, and then I realized that she was having trouble lifting up her folders so I went over and offered to help um, and we really became friends from that point um, and Kay has uh, so she had three children from her first relationship and then she became um, married again and inherited two more children so she had lots of children in her life and obviously I'd worked with children. Um, it was actually her idea that we should look to specialize um, how we were going to be using our NLP skills in the future. Um, because uh, her point, which was exactly right, was that everyone else that was in the training room with us, of which there were maybe 30 or 40 people, were all going to be going out competing for the same business, running practitioner and master practitioner courses. Um, so she very wisely said, you know, we should look to do something a bit more specialised. Um, I've got lots of children and you've worked with lots of children. Maybe, you know, NLP for children could be a good way forward. Uh, and at the time I said, no, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to work with children anymore. I'm done with this industry. Um, but she twisted my arm and we put together uh, a kind of a, a program, a workshop program really for children, um, which initially we ran in my local area. Uh, because I had a database that I was building up already um, from my more kind of NLP grown-up training. Um, so I already had some people I could reach out to to say, um, I'm going to do a almost like a practitioner course for children, but a much more simplified and a mini version. Um, and uh, we did a couple of workshops. And then I realized that actually, if I really got specific with my coaching practice as well, and started focusing on working with children there, um, that that would have a big impact on the number of inquiries that I was getting because it, it really enabled me to streamline my marketing much better. Yeah. Um, 
rather than you know trying to appeal to people that wanted to lose weight or give up smoking or get rid of depression or get rid of anxiety and you know these millions of different um, challenges that people might experience uh, instead I could say I work with children um, and that made the most significant difference to the number of not weirdly not just children that I was seeing but actually the number of adults as well um, partly because you know that might mean that I work with their parents but mainly because it meant that locally uh, I started to you know develop a bit bit of a name for myself in having a specialism um, and it overall helped me to stand out from the crowd so in terms of how NLP for kids got started um, I have to credit Kay with the idea although um, after a little while she did move uh, up to Birmingham and she moved into her husband's business with him working in insurance so at that point she took a step back from nlp for kids completely and i've kept the thing the whole thing running um independently since then and, and then also went on to set up the franchise element of it as well right okay so of course that's the standard marketing advice they always give you um specialize in something and uh make your niche you know really really narrow so you're almost the only person in it and it's just what everyone on an nlp training course uh trainers training course doesn't want to do because they all want to start practitioner courses and uh, i don't know if you found this on your practitioner courses everyone who does it wants to become some sort of NLP therapist or coach because they've had this amazing experience and you feel like you can take on the world. After a while, reality kicks in, this has been my experience anyway, and you kind of revert to the stuff that you know about, mm -hmm. possibly after a couple of bruising experiences in stuff <laughs> you don't know about. But I, I, I was lucky that I was a hypnotherapist when I started. Yeah. Um, and albeit one with really, really crap training. So, so I really appreciated the, the stuff from NLP. So that's, yeah. how, that's how you got going. And NLP for kids now, hmm. you train people really to use NLP with children. Is that, is that how it works now? Yeah, that's pretty much it. So um, part of the training is that they do have to do the NLP practitioner so that they have got a uh, kind of basis of um, generic NLP understanding um, and then we have three levels of training with NLP for kids so the first part is predominantly for working with children either in a workshop setting or for one-to-one -one sessions with them and in that training it's really about re-looking at the techniques a huge part of it is about simplifying the language and that's not just because NLP's um, listed with clunky language yeah. anyway um, it's also because, you know, we get so used to uh, conversing with adults that sometimes um, we forget that we might need to explain things, not necessarily in a simpler way, um, but just in a multitude of different ways to enable a child to really grasp it. Um, so that's a big part of what we look at on the first training. Um, the second level of training, uh, which is optional, though not, not everybody takes it up, um, is NLP for parents and teachers. Um, and that's because I, I had a really um, harsh lesson one day when I'd had a great session with uh, a boy who was about 13 years old. And, um, and actually, we'd used the technique that hopefully we'll get time to talk about today. And at the end of the session, his mum came in and said, did you hypnotize him? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, we've done this cognitive process today, this is what it does. And then his mum said, uh, it was words to the effect of, he's done things like that already, it didn't work for him then, it's not going to work for him now. Mm. And I watched this poor boy sort of dissolve before my very eyes, who'd been really pumped up and sort of, you know, looking forward to... Um, uh, to going and putting things into action. And, and I remember him saying he was going to pin it up on the wall beside his bed, you know, the notes that we'd written. So um, we have parents and teachers training really so that we can do the very best to provide the most supportive environment for children who might be going through some kind of NLP process or in you know a great number of the cases as well, um, making sure that parents are adapting their approach on what they're doing, um, which might mean then that a child doesn't actually need to come to sessions anyway. Right. Um, and then the third level is hypnotherapy for kids, uh, which isn't necessarily about putting them into a sort of deep zombified state, um, but it's more about sort of using metaphors and uh, again, real sort of focus on how we can use language to um, impact uh, useful change with them um, and, you know, some light sort of meditation type techniques in there as well. So people can come and just do the training with us um, or they can do the training and then go on to become one of our licensed practitioners, which means that they, they kind of stick with us from that point onwards and, and become part of our team. Okay, and um, I can imagine there are going to be uh, quite a few listeners thinking, well, I have kids, or I work with kids, or I'm a teacher, or uh, work, you know, I've got nursery experience or whatever. And um, they're probably going to be wondering, okay, where can we find out more about this? Because some of this sounds like it will be really, really helpful. Um, so is there a website or something they can go to? Yeah, of course. So um, the website is uh, NLP, and then it's a numerical for uh, kids.org. Um, and there's a page on there that says, uh, you'll see at the tab at the top that says join us. And from there, you can make some you know, choices about where you go next, because some people might just want to do some training to upskill themselves. Some people are going to be more interested in the business and franchise aspect of it. So that will take you off on a slightly different route. But that would be the best place to get started and, and just have a general nose around the website. because there's quite a lot of uh, good resources and, and blog posts and things on there for people to read too. Yeah. Okay. And, and you're based, I'm, am I right, St. Albans in the UK? Uh, Hemel Hempstead. Hemel Hempstead. So. Why did I think St. Albans? That's uh, nearby, isn't it? Somewhere in that sort of region. <laughs> I've kind of <laughs> forgotten English geography since I moved to France. <laughs> um, Hemel Hempstead. Okay. And you've actually got some sort of shopfront uh, thing down there, haven't you? I have, yeah, another one of my bonkers ideas. Um, so I'd been um, renting office space, which was incredibly expensive, actually. So I had a Regis office and um, they kind of sucked you into those things with a really good deal in the beginning. Um, so, you know, you might be able to get a serviced office space for less than 150 quid a month or something crazy like that. And then, of course, you're there and you're, you're rooted, your post is going there and it's on your website and all your paper headings and all of this sort of stuff. So the last thing you want to do is move at the end of your 12-month contract, at which point they say, oh, the fees are going up. Um, and, uh, and the fees went up and it became more and more expensive to be there. So um, it just didn't make sense really to keep renting um, somewhere when um, 
you know, it, it would be obviously for the business as well, much more beneficial for us to have our own premises. So I had to think about um, what kind of commercial space would be um, A, the right fit and B, financially the most viable. And I'd seen a lot of TV shows and, and things in the past and also just in my own high street um, where there's lots of retail spaces that were available, lots of retail units available where I guess from you know the internet causing the trend as it does lots of places were shutting down and, and businesses going online so I thought if those places are empty then they're probably not uh, being sold for extortionate amounts of money so I should maybe have a look into um, some kind of retail space because if I could use that as an office but advertise the business at the same time in some nice window frontage then maybe that could work so I had a look into it all and I did find somewhere um, and when I went to see the council because it needed a change of use um, they said you know these are the different categories and you need to choose which category you fit into and I said well um, I do want to sell stuff so I do still need it to be a bit like a shop and they said okay well that's this classification and I said but actually I want to be doing therapy and um, consultations from there as well and they said that's a different classification I said oh um, and I also want it to be an office and they said yeah and that's another classification so I've ended up with a bespoke license because they didn't decide where to put me um, and uh, these are not the exact words but it's along these lines it's sort of hypnotherapy practice and other things <laughs> <laughs> right so you could do anything in there basically <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I um, I see you've posted on Facebook. Uh, you've got like a a board outside your place, haven't yeah. you? And you put inspiring quotes and wise things on there. Sometimes, so uh, that's nice to see. Do you do you get yeah. much kind of passing trade, as it were? Um, more than I'd expected. So. Um... I'd, you know, predominantly it was about making sure we had an office space. The fact that we've got some nice big windows was an added bonus. Um, so I wasn't expecting any passing trade. Um, but I did put some um, like business card holders and leaflet holders out the front so that if people weren't really feeling brave enough to come in, they could at least stop and take some cards, uh, which they do frequently. Um, and I was surprised at how quickly that happened. Um, then what we would start to see is people would uh, walk past the window and you could see that they, you know, maybe read something out the corner of their eye as they passed and they'd slow down but keep walking and then they'd disappear and then they'd walk backwards. <laughs> <laughs> come back into shot and read it again um so yeah we do now get passing trade not lots so, you know still the greatest uh, generator of inquiries through the internet um but we do have people who walk in off the street and say can you help me or can you help my child um and some of those people do convert into becoming clients so uh, it has worked cool and and um you also work with schools i'm guessing Yes, lots now. Um, in the beginning, it was really quite tricky to, um, I suppose, on one hand, it was encourage our practitioners to get their foot through the door. Um, but then also, you know, just to be able to strike up a relationship with the school is, is quite challenging, um, mainly because the people that you need to speak to are incredibly busy. Mm. And 
often not available and you know if they call you back and you miss it then you may have missed them forever uh, so so one of the uh, the challenges with dealing with schools was um, really getting in touch with the right people at the right point in time. And so I'd put together some quite robust strategies for our practitioners to be able to follow, um, to give them the best possible chance. But even so, I think there were still two key challenges that remained. One of them was that um, our practitioners, whilst they love what they do, are not always all that brave about doing the marketing side of things and still suffered with uh you know fears around rejection no matter how much nlp training we might give them um to combat that um it just wasn't their bag and the second thing was you know this um real sort of challenge around getting schools to pay for what we were doing and um you know, the, the budget was always such a big obstacle, such a big stumbling block. So in the last 12 months or so, um, I've been looking at ways for us to be able to source funding for schools um, that schools are already eligible for, but either don't know that they're eligible for it, or they do know, but they haven't got time to write the application form to secure it. Um, and I've been uh, touchwood pretty successful at doing that so far, which has meant that for our practitioners, they now don't have to go through the process of reaching out to a school we do it for them um, from the office and uh, when we're approaching that school rather than saying would you like to pay for this service we're saying there's probably some funding available for you to be able to get this service would you be interested in applying for it um, you would think that you know giving away free money makes it um, super easy it's still tricky and it's still incredibly time consuming and um, you know schools are still not as proactive at responding as I might like them to be um, but it does mean that you know, typically we say to a new practitioner would you like to work in school and if they say yes then we say how many days a week would you like to work in school and then we'll do the appropriate level of marketing to make sure that we secure that number of days for them Right. Yeah. So that, that's um, that's an interesting subject you've touched upon there. The uh, people not seeing themselves as marketers or salespeople. Um, the people who can do both, who are sort of good on the therapy and training side and good at the marketing side are quite rare, I think. Um, uh, some people will say, oh, that's limiting beliefs on their part. I'm not, I'm not sure it's, uh, it's maybe just, it, it could just be lack of experience in that area, I think, mm. because uh, if it's limiting beliefs that hold people back, very often the beliefs are based on complete lack of experience of anything like that. So how would they know they're, they're going to do it? You know, they might say to themselves, I can't see myself doing that. And they literally can't because they've got no kind of mental images of it. So yes. some, some, the people who tend to be really successful seem to be able to combine both of those skill sets, which is, uh, which is lovely. Like, yeah. like, like you, Gemma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I've also got quite a vivid imagination. So um, in terms of what you've just said there, um, if I don't know how to do something, I'm very good at thinking 
well, what do I imagine that it might be like and constructing something which is likely to be nowhere near the reality of how it works out, but it gives me enough confidence to be able to move forward. Right, and you can update it, of course, once you get a bit of feedback from trying stuff out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned before uh, that some aspects of NLP for kids are kind of franchise-like. Mm -hmm. you, you presumably have what practitioners in in particular areas yeah so they're not geographically restricted um which is important partly because there are way too many schools in any one area for us to be able to limit that to one practitioner so um where i live in hemel hempstead uh, our, our local borough is called decorum um and there are i think 46 primary schools and 15 secondary schools right so even if I were, you know, as, as someone that could work five days a week in schools, I still couldn't fulfill all of all of that potentially. Um, so uh, we don't have any geographical restrictions. So the practitioners can sort of, you know, work across borders, so to speak. And because we encourage them to uh, niche, even within helping the kids, we get them to niche further. Um, it does mean that they're more likely to attract um, clients with particular challenges. And so as well as matching parents and children up with a practitioner who lives close by, it's also about matching them up with someone who's actually got the right skill set for that particular family's needs, right. uh, which I think is important as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, we have, I think at the moment, it's 22 practitioners. Um 23 including myself because i do still um go out and deliver work in schools and see clients myself as well um although not so much of it as i perhaps used to do yeah so we've got quite a sizable uh listenership worldwide for the podcast so mm -hmm. i can pretty much guarantee that there are going to be some people listening to this uh maybe in the usa or maybe in europe or maybe in australia thinking uh, okay, is this just in the UK, or how can I how can I get in on this, or or um, become a practitioner? Does this extend to different countries as well? Or could um, it... Yes and no. So yes, in that we have trained people from overseas. Um, but I've yet to license anyone from overseas. Uh, I have looked into licensing in Australia. Um, the reason that I picked there is because, A, I haven't been there and I'd quite like to go. <laughs> um, B, it's English speaking. And C, uh, I would only need one license. Um, so there'd need to be an adaption of the license that we currently have, which is our sort of official document, uh, to make it fit in with Australian law. Whereas if we went to a America in every state there's different laws so that might mean that we need a different license for every single different state we go to which could end up being quite costly and time-consuming um, that said we have a training coming up uh, later on in August and there's a lady coming over from Cyprus and she's looking to become our very first uh, Cypriot um, licensed practitioner um, which is going to mean that we need to do some translation work around the materials and the workbooks that we provide and so on um, so I think that you know that's going to be a useful learning curve for me to have in terms of uh, what's what that's going to look like and, and what it will entail to work with someone overseas yeah okay that's quite exciting i would imagine
it is. I'm hoping that um, I'm going to find a reason to be able to do some sort of site visit with her. I think you need to, really. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> got to do it, haven't they? <laughs> well, I think, I think I'm going to uh, ask you about um, a favourite technique of yours or something that our listeners might find useful because... Uh, most of uh, most of the NLP stuff that we've done on on uh, the podcast, whether it's uh, me or whether it's uh, me interviewing somebody, it's been really aimed at either kind of personal development uh, for adults or uh, working with adult clients. So you must have a wealth of things that you can use with kids and describe in simple language and so on. So uh, yeah, what, what's your favorite technique that uh, people might be able to use for themselves or try out with someone? All right, well, um, I'll tell you about a technique which um, I think I've probably stolen various bits and pieces from um, different techniques that exist in NLP already um, but it's kind of bringing lots of different things together uh, and it's called the path of life and it's a process that the NLP for kids practitioners learn about um, and actually go on to use quite a lot uh, in the work that we do and, and it's proved to be quite useful. So it's quite a cognitive process and it's really about building up motivation when we have a young person who's perhaps um, not behaving as we might like them to be behaving or, you know, just not really holding themselves to as high a standard as they could do in their lives. And I personally um, developed this one because for me, in terms of what motivates me, I'd love to say that I'm someone who gets really fired up by, you know, all of the um, positive things that I'm going to go out there and achieve or what I'm going to gain um, and all of those lovely towards things that we talk about lots in NLP. Um, but the reality is I'm still quite an away from driven person. And uh, as much as I've, you know, sort of worked on adapting that so that I can perhaps feel a little bit less stressed in my life at times. Actually, it seems to be just the way I am. Um, and I've <laughs> noticed with, um, certainly with young people, uh, if they are having challenges in their life, um, they can very quickly become quite negative and quite away from focus. So from a rapport building perspective, it doesn't work so well if we go in you know, all big sort of Mickey Mouse smiles and say, but look at all of the great things you can do. You've kind of got to start with where they're at. So that's what I feel this technique does. So I typically have a pen and paper and I, I draw it out um, and it's very simple drawings with stick people. Um, but I draw a line and I say, let's imagine that this line here is the bit of life that you've already done. So at this end of it is the day that you were born. And at this end of it is where we are today. And all of the rest of that line is the bits in between. And then I draw the little stick person on and say, so this is you here today. And what you've got up ahead of you now is it's almost like having two different paths to choose from. You've got one path, which is going to just continue exactly as you are with you behaving as you are at the moment, doing what you're doing at the moment. And that's going to take you in a certain direction. And then we have a different path, which we're going to draw over here. And this different path is the path that happens if you decide to start making, even if it's just one small change, just one small difference in how you are right now. And we're going to see how that could lead you off in a very different direction. 
So I start out on the, um, the kind of continuing as you are path on the basis that this one's probably going to yield uh, the less helpful results for them in the future. And as we draw out the path, I ask them about kind of key events that they might be able to um, conceptually get their head around uh, based on whatever age they are. So it could be something like uh, what school might you end up going to? Um, what would the friends be like that you have there? Um, what might you think about yourself? And then we sort of move it further on down the line and we start talking about, oh, but did you learn to drive when you turned 17? Did you go to college? What sort of girlfriend or boyfriend do you have? What kind of job do you go into? So we start breaking it down into uh, some great detail and they tend to be really very creative with this and start really building up this story about this character who's dissociated for them because it's not happened to them. Um, but they're talking about, you know, this is what it could look like if I were to carry on the road that I'm on at the moment. And we go right through to the very end of their days and we talk about what that looks like who was there with them. Um, and some of them have said some really, uh, like very strong things, like really um, quite insightful and poignant things. You know, things like, um, if I carried on on this path, then I would end up going into prison at this point. And then when I came out, I would find it difficult to find somewhere to live and my family would be disappointed with me. So they really go for it. Yeah. And then I say, all right, so let's just leave that one where it is. I want to come back to the moment of now because none of that stuff's happened and nor does it have to. We're going to come back to the moment of now and we're going to talk about what might happen if you make a change. Now, we maybe don't even know what that change is going to be yet, but this is just about getting them open-minded to the idea that something different could happen for them in the future. So then we go back through those major points, having made some kind of positive change in their lives, marking out what the differences are going to be, you know, with what their first car might look like or the first job, um, what kind of girlfriend or boyfriend they might have, um, what age they're going to retire, um, right up to the end of their days and who's going to be there with them um, and what that's going to look like. So we've then got these two very clear paths that we can look at um, and make some comparisons and say, well, actually, you know, maybe this path here that looked like carrying on as you are at the moment may have been an easier decision because you didn't have to go through all of that unnecessary change process stuff with Gemma. Um, but if you look at then how that path worked out for you and how unhealthy that might have been, how much pain that might have brought you later on. Maybe it's worth investing that time and effort and energy now so that you get that easier path in your life later on. So it's, it's really about saying sometimes the, uh, the more difficult path is the one that looks easy. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes the path that looks more difficult is actually the one that works out much easier and better for us later on. Right. And um, I should add, by the way, you've sent me the uh, instructions for yeah. this exercise or thought experiment, and uh, I will make those available in the show notes. Um, I, I also notice in, in, the, uh, in the instructions here, you, even before you take them along the, um, the alternate path, you give them a bit of a warning or a bit of a, a sort of a, yeah, it is, it's a warning really, isn't it? Yeah. Along the lines of, let me tell you, before we look at taking this route, I need you to know it's going to be tough. 
Yeah, absolutely. There was a, an interesting article that I read the other day about how um, it was really sort of focusing on building children's self-esteem and self-worth and those sorts of things. And um, I suppose ultimately what it was leaning towards saying is that um, if we are too much on the positive thinking side of things and saying, you know, you can do anything that you apply your mind to. Uh, you've got everything you need inside of you and making it sound too easy, then that can lead to a sense of disappointment when a failure shows up or feedback shows up later on. Yeah, uh, the very first thing that goes wrong and uh, life isn't perfect and isn't that easy, the, the temptation will be for it's almost like a balloon that gets popped. Exactly, yeah. So I think um, if you know that something's going to be a challenge and then you even partway succeed at it, that's when you can really build up your self-esteem. That's when you can give yourself a pat on the back because it's like, wow, I did that and it was actually quite tricky or I got halfway with that and actually that was quite a challenging thing to do. When you succeed at things that you already assume are going to be easy, the sense of achievement isn't quite the same as if you achieve it something that was framed to be quite challenging for you. So I think it's important um, that, you know, we're saying to young people, listen, doing the right thing in life isn't always going to always feel like the easiest thing to do. Sometimes that's going to feel like it's, you know, going against the grain. It feels quite tough on you. But the effects that you get from that later on will be well worth it. So it's worth developing that sense of perseverance in yourself so that you've got the ability to do that. Right. And this is immediately making me think of Carol Dweck's work on mindsets, on growth and fixed mindsets, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, where, you know, kids who are told that they're great and they're smart and they're beautiful and they're really good at everything. Yeah. Um, as soon as they encounter some kind of challenge, they try and duck it, something that the first experience that shows them that they aren't, um, you know, the smartest person in the world. Yeah. Whereas kids that are praised for effort relish challenges and, and they regard everything as, uh, you know, it's making them better, it's a learning experience, and they're much more likely to uh, succeed and learn. Absolutely, yeah. Wow, okay, so uh, that's called The Path of Life. That's and uh, you'll you'll notice that, and you, you'll also notice when you see the show notes that Gemma's explained all of that in everyday English without a single uh, NLP speak jargon term in there, uh, which is quite useful. Again, um, other personal development seminar runners, please please note. Uh, okay, so we'll have that in the show notes at uh, nlppod.com. And yeah, so and what, what are you excited about right now, Gemma? What's coming up? Well, um, at the moment, I, I have a directory, which is a bit like the old Yellow Pages. So it's a huge book and it is a book of funding sources um, that are available uh, for charities and not-for-profit organisations. And um, I set up a not-for-profit organisation back in October last year. So I'm working my way through this directory to see which ones might be relevant um, to superheroes, which is the name of the not-for-profit company. Um, and uh, what I'm looking to do moving forward is uh, potentially um, utilize some of our NLP for Kids practitioners to go out and deliver um, some work 
based on funding that Superheroes is able to um, to attract. Uh, so that's quite an exciting thing because um, I've been doing a little bit of bid writing in working with the schools, but uh, these are going to be, I think, probably a bit more significant sources of um, funding. Um, so actual quantities of funding will be hopefully a bit more significant. Um, but also it's, it's going to be a very different style of writing. So that's, mm -hmm. that's going to be interesting. Um, and one of the, uh, the sort of longer term projects that I have in mind is I'd really like to be able to find another premises um, without losing the place that we have at the moment, that the plan is for that to stay. Um, but uh, what I refer to as a big space so somewhere like a community hall from where we can run our training, but potentially also set up something which is happening on a regular basis for children and families to come along to, um, which will uh, not only, you know, obviously do great things for the community, but it will also provide um, a sort of live training space for our new NLP for Kids practitioners to come along right. and um, some real life subjects that they can put their skills into action with, uh, which is quite tricky to do with the schools because obviously the schools have invested for a practitioner of a significant level rather than a trainee. Um, whereas if we have our own sort of on-site training facility, then that's something that we would be able to offer. Fantastic. Um, do you want to say a little bit more about what superheroes will be doing? Um, well, I'm not 100% sure myself yet, <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's been a few ideas. Uh, the initial one was that we would use superheroes uh, to put together a new training program for much younger children because we were getting a few inquiries from um, kind of nursery age, preschool aged um, establishments. Um, but I'm not 100% sure that that's the right way to go with it at the moment. Um, my thinking at the moment is that superheroes is uh, really going to be um, the backbone of us being able to seek out funding, which can then we can then use with our NL, existing NLP for kids practitioners to go out and deliver more things in the community. Um, also, there's uh, one aspect of superheroes um, in our constitution, which specifically relates to adults um, and sort of assisting adults with mental health needs. So there's more work to be done on that side of things as well. Um, plus, uh, there's a sort of publications aspect to it. Um, because we run an articles competition with the NLP for Kids practitioners every year, um, where they write an article and then we send it out to our database. And based on the, the amount of sort of social media interaction they get, we then pick a winner. Um, and we've done that for the last four years, which means we've got quite a lot of content. So one of the things I'd really like to do is to put together a magazine using that content, which will go out to schools. Um, and this is something that I think superheroes would be able to uh, seek some funding to be able to uh, make that one happen. Um, and then obviously the sort of big space idea, I think, is something that will ultimately be underpinned by superheroes so uh, ultimately what I want is I want a space that I can call the superheroes training center <laughs> <laughs> cool okay um, is there anything else I should be asking you about that's a very good question um, is there anything else actually no I'm not even going to say that I'm going to say what else should I be asking you about I'm going to put a little presupposition in there that there is going to be something 
you. Um, I suppose the main thing that I feel differentiates NLP for kids from more conventional NLP training is the level of uh, support that we give, certainly to our, our licensed practitioners. So people that do training only get training only, um, but the people that become licensed with us, uh, I like to think that we do look after them really well. So it's not just we give them access to the logo. Um, they get mentoring, they get a monthly webinar, um, with uh, sort of training updates, they get free ongoing retraining that they can attend as many times as they like. Um, they have a forum facility for all of their downloads of various different marketing materials. We have a get together every quarter. Um, so there really is a lot of sort of uh, support, not just from me, but from the rest of the team. And uh, sometimes, you know, if there's something that perhaps I don't have an immediate answer to. We've got this WhatsApp group that, to be honest, I have to switch the volume off because they talk to each other so much. <laughs> um, but they'll send out an inquiry to the WhatsApp group and, you know, before you know it, there's eight different responses, different suggestions about how to move forward with something that they're finding quite challenging. So um, I think that it, that's a really important aspect of what NLP for Kids offers um, is that... It, that sense that you're not a lone ranger anymore you know you have got a team there and, and there are there is that sort of backup and support to take you through every step of the way fantastic okay so just let's just reiterate again uh where people can find you what's the best website to go to um so it's nlp and then a numerical for uh, kids.org so nlp for kids.org and then if they head over to the uh, join us page, then that has all of the details about either doing some training or what's involved in becoming a licensed practitioner. Um, and there's some uh, publications that we've added to the website now that you can download or even we can send out to you by post, which are really comprehensive and talk you through all the pros and cons of doing the training or becoming licensed so that you've got a really good picture of what's involved before making any decisions. Yeah, I think um, I think I had a look at that stuff before, not with any intention of doing anything like that myself. But one of my practitioner graduates was um, considering considering it, so I had a look at the stuff, and I can back up. It is really comprehensive. Thank you. Hmm. Okay, so thank you very much, Gemma Bailey, for a wonderful interview and quite an inspiring interview, I think, as well. If uh, people have perhaps uh, a business idea for using NLP or they have an area of specialism that they would uh, like to reach more people than they can just reach on their own, uh, I think the fact that you've kind of blazed a trail doing that and, and shown it's possible will uh, quite conceivably uh, give people a bit more bit more motivation, bit of inspiration to actually go and do something themselves. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. This episode is sponsored by the NLP Trainers Mega Pack. Detailed instructions for over 120 NLP training exercises, customizable NLP practitioner manuals that you can add to and rebrand for your own course, plus many other useful goodies for NLP trainers. Find the NLP Trainers Mega Pack and other resources for trainers at webstore.nlppod.com. See you next time.